Welcome to the Bradenville Church of Christ podcast. We are a family of believers striving to be the first century church in the 21st century. We're located at 285 Church Street in Bradenville, Missouri. Please join us for Bible study Sunday mornings at 10 a.m. with worship to follow at 11 a.m. Wednesday night Bible study is at 7 p.m. Now, please enjoy our lesson. We are going to continue our discussion today about building a, a, a habit of personal evangelism. And last week we we started kind of transitioning from uh, the the topic of visiting with people who are familiar with the Bible, they're familiar with God, and and maybe even familiar with Jesus, to now thinking about how would we share the gospel, how would we evangelize somebody who is not familiar with God. We take it for granted that we live in a part of the country, actually we live in a country that for from its beginning has been familiar with the God, the Bible, and and Jesus Christ. And we live in a part of the country that even today, by and large, people have an understanding of who Jesus is. But that trend is changing. And so if we were to come across somebody that didn't know who Jehovah was, didn't know who God the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit were, how how would we share the gospel with them? And last week we looked at Paul's preaching in Athens. You remember... He was preaching there on Mars Hill, on the Areopagus, to people who their their religious perspective is we worship anything and everything. You know that you might recall that we noted that uh, one philosopher in speaking about Athens says it was easier to find a god in Athens than it was a man. And so what we saw then Paul do was he tried to find some common ground. We called it a hook, right? And it's not a gimmick. This is not we're not talking about something that is a gimmick, but it's something that's a commonality between me and the person I'm visiting with to hang the gospel on. And he started with this idol that they had set up in Athens, this this false god that they had set up, said to the unknown god. And he started with that unknown god, and he preached the god of creation to them, the god of the universe. And then he brought them to the to the standpoint that this God who has authority has set a day in which he's going to judge the world in righteousness. And the judge that he has appointed, he testified to the authenticity and the authority of this man by raising him from the dead. That's the resurrection of Jesus, right? That's the gospel. The death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus. And so we see in one short sermon, he transitions from speaking about a God that they didn't even know to a God that they should recognize as the creator, to a God who has authority in their life, to a God who appointed the day. First of all, he, he, he commands repentance, so he has a, an active role in the life. He has an active interest in the lives of mankind. And because of that repentance, or that repentance is due to the day of judgment. Now, how would we, how would we build common ground with somebody who doesn't have a basis in the Bible. Now you're going to notice today in our, ser- in, our, in our lesson, if you turn your bulletin over and look at the back, I only have one Bible passage referenced on there. And that was just for our scripture reading. Now that, that's intentional. And I don't want people to think that we're not going to preach the Bible today. But sometimes when you're studying with people and, and you want to open up the Bible first, that might be a tripping hazard for people. Because there might be people who have no, that you, you recall when Paul started, Paul didn't start with Isaiah. He didn't start with Genesis. He didn't start anywhere from the scriptures. He started from the basis of where those people were. And sometimes we've got to start outside of the Bible 
to draw people into the Bible. And so what we're going to do today and next Sunday, I think we can cover them all in two lessons. We're going to look at some evidences of God. If we were to, to, to justify or to show or you might say to build a hook with people, a common ground with people, what would we base it on if people had no interest in opening up the Bible first? And so these evidences are, the, the first three we've got kind of build on each other, and the others will then come in the supplement that we'll talk about next week. But we're going to be, begin really kind of where Paul began. We're going to begin with the universe. How did we get here? Have you ever really sat and thought about that question? How did we, how did we get here? How did we get to the point where, come on in. Come on in, you're welcome to join us. It's okay. Um, someday we're going to get people to actually come in and sit down. Huh? Uh, what's that? We need a hook, right? And probably what we need right there in that front seat is somebody to come up and give them a hug, right? Just start with right <laughs> Don, that's your job. <laughs> Just um, a hook. Creation. Where did we come from? Where, where has everything that we can touch and smell and taste and know where it's it come from. And when you begin with the, with the, the idea of the material, the natural world, that's a, that's a good hook for anybody, right? Because anybody, anybody can feel what we live in. They can understand that we live in a physical world. And so a good question is, well, where did it come from? Now, there's two, there's two possible ways that you can answer uh, this question about the, the world around us. Either, number one, it is eternal, which means it has always been and it will always be. It will never, it, it doesn't have a beginning and it doesn't have an end. Or it is not eternal, right? Either things are eternal or they're not eternal. And if it's not eternal, that means that it had a beginning and it also means that it will have an end. Now, scientists throughout history have studied the, the natural world. They've looked at the natural world and they've derived from it some laws of nature. And a few of those laws are, de are, are described for us as the laws of thermodynamics. Now, I'm not going to get into an advanced physics course here today, but it is important for us to note that scientists have seen in the study of the universe these certain principles that speak to us about really the beginning and the end of the universe. The first law of thermodynamics is that energy can neither be destroyed or created. And if that's the case then, then matter does not have within itself the ability to create or destroy itself. It changes form, it transitions. Uh, you know, when, when this parking lot out here, at some point in time, it's gonna, it's gonna be torn up, right? And it's gonna be transitioned into something else. But it's not going to be destroyed. It's never going to cease to exist. But it can't be created either. And what that speaks to us then, what that tells us about nature is that the natural world had a beginning. Something supernatural, something outside of nature, above and beyond nature, had to create it. Now the second law of thermodynamics is the, the law of entropy, which means that energy 
naturally transitions from a higher state to a lower state. Here's a good way to remember that. You put a battery in your smoke detector and you leave it there for infinity, right? It never runs out. Now that's not the way energy works, right? Over time, that battery is going to diminish in energy. The, the, the power that it has in it is going to diminish. And so at some point in time, you gotta take that old battery out and you gotta put a new battery in. You know the world's doing that, the sun's doing that. Everything in nature is wearing down. And scientists can actually go through and they can run calculations and they can approximate when the world, when the universe will run out of energy. What does that mean? And that means that the, the universe has an ending point. So when we look at nature itself, when we look at the physical world around us, the scientific community by and large, and most people in general have an understanding that the world has a beginning and an end. So we ask ourselves then, how did the world, how was the world, how was the universe created? How did it come into existence? And you might hear several different answers. If you're studying with some people, you might say, well, the Big Bang. We'll just park that for a second. We'll come back to that, but just park. That's one, one theory of the creation of the universe is the Big Bang. Sometimes you might hear people talk about a creative force. They don't really know what it is, but some type of creative force created the universe and then we would say God right now we would possibly want to point to the scriptures right Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 let's say it together in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth you know that's a tripping hazard for people that's a stumbling point for people who don't believe in God and so right now we're going to grant three creative forces, you might say. We're going to say we've got God, we've got a creative force that's undefined, or we've got the Big Bang. But you see where we can kind of hang a hook, right? That's, that's something that, that most people are going to agree on one of those three things. If you get somebody who has a completely different idea, we can still roll it into this conversation. But the main thing we're focusing on here is that creation the fact that we exist demands a creative force of some type. It demands a creator. That's, once you really boil it down, that's a pretty simple concept, right? Because we are here, something had to be here before us to create us. Now let's go to the next truth that we've got on our page here. Every effect requires a cause. That's the law of causality. That's another truth of nature, is that if something happened, it meant to happen. There was some kind of a cause that brought it about. Now, there's, there's, a certain, there's certain truths, though, that have to be, there's certain things that have to be true about a cause for an effect to take place. If I were to tell you that when we were driving over here, that a, uh, a fly hit our windshield and we flew off into Beaver Creek, would that make sense to you? Most of you would say no, right? Unless we unless we're, think we're joking or we're trying to be silly, right? Because a fly is not an adequate cause for my car to go flying off into Beaver Creek. So the first thing we have, we have to know about the cause is the cause has to be adequate. That means it has to have the appropriate power or strength or ability to bring about the effect. 
A hummingbird sitting on the limb of an oak tree is not an appropriate cause or an adequate cause for the tree to fall over. But you know what is? A tornado. And so as we drive down the road and we see a tree laying over and the roots are all exposed, the first thing we don't think is hummingbird must have caused that. But what we might think is a strong wind. And if we knew what had happened the night before or the day before, the week before, we might assume that a tornado had come through there. That's how the law of causality works. Our, we naturally think of causes that would be adequate for the effect that we see. The second thing that we have to note about causes, it has to be antecedent. What does that mean? It means it has to precede the effect. The tree falling over is not is not the effect of a tornado that happens next week. And anything that, that then happens has to be preceded by the cause. Now let's talk about, let's talk a little bit about creation here. And the, and the natural world. We've already seen that the natural world does not have the ability within itself to create itself. And so by definition, then, the creative force, whatever it is that created us, had to be super above nature, supernatural, right? Now, one of, the, one of the problems that we see with the Big Bang Theory is the Big Bang Theory starts with nature. It starts with a little ball that's the size of a period. So if you look in your Bible and you find a period, that's about the size that this ball was that supposedly created the universe. And this ball weighed about 25 pounds. And when it exploded, it created everything that we see around us. Now, science, even scientists, point to this as being unnatural, right? It's, it's not, it's not the, the adequate cause for the explosion of the universe, for, the, for everything we see. And so to, to explain that, what's, what sometimes they'll do is they'll create different theories called one of the inflationary theory, which means that everything we see has inflated over time. But the problem is it defies the, the first principle of the cause is that it's adequate. An explosion of natural material is not adequate to explain the existence of everything in the universe. The other thing it doesn't show us is that it's not antecedent because material can't create itself, so something had to happen to create the little ball of matter. And so as we begin then to think about the fact that the, the law of causality, that every effect has an adequate antecedent cause, we begin to have to take the, the, the Big Bang Theory and kind of park it off to the side because it doesn't meet that criteria. And so what would we be left with? We're left with the idea of a creative force, some type of undefined creative force that, that brought about, that has to be supernatural, right? Because it has to be outside the bounds of nature because nature can't create itself. Or we're left with God. And so now as we talk with people, we begin to bring them along to the idea that the cause has to be bigger than the effect. It has to be prior to the effect. And most people, I think, can understand that. And, and particularly if we'll break it down into, into simple to understand examples like, you know, the, you can use whatever example you want, the hummingbird in the oak tree, versus the tornado, the, the, the fly on the windshield, whatever it is. If you kind of think about how to explain antecedent and adequate or appropriate, then people can understand that because we know what, how the physical world around us works. Now, what about 
not just the fact that we exist, but the fact that we see glory in the universe. We see magnificence. We see beauty. We see things that are, uh, that are hard to explain by randomness. The, the, the evolutionary model, the way it explains everything around us is that, that by chance and happenstance, by the order of uh, natural selection and mutation, by billions and billions of years, everything that's around us exists because of randomness and chance. But even when the, the evolutionists, when the person who doesn't believe in, in, in either a creative force or in God speaks, I want you to notice the words that are used. What does the word creature mean? Talk about a creature, right? Something that lives out in the, in the grass, right? Or something that comes through the woods at night, right? Creature is a, a you know, basically a you know, it's a beast or an animal or a bug or something, right? But do you ever thought about the word creature, what it comes from? Creature. It's something that is created, right? Not something that evolved from nothing. And we'll talk a little bit more about, about this next week when we say that life requires a life giver. But even the, the words that, that we often hear scientists, evolutionary scientists use, defy the concept of what they're proposing. Um, and it really comes down to this. Design requires a designer. Now, I get this because my training is in engineering. I've never seen a bridge design itself. I've never seen, I've never seen a, a box of dynamite sitting out beside a creek blow up and there's a bridge. That, that doesn't happen. But the the person that we may be talking with will say, well, given, given billions and millions of years, that could happen. Well, just because there is a slight probability of something being able to happen given the ex uh, an expanse of time does not explain the fact that there is so much design in the universe. I want to read you just a few things. I want to give you a, just a few things to think about. Because when we think about design requiring a designer, there, there's aspects of the world Actually, I'm going to wait on this one because this was actually the later on down in. Um, there's aspects of the world that make it very difficult for the the Big Bang or even the creative force concepts really to hold any water when it comes to the idea of where we came from. There's a few things about design about the universe that speak to design, and the first thing is order. When we talk about order, what are we talking about? We're talking about the fact that when the planets go around the sun, they don't crash into each other. They don't bump off each other. When we, talk, when we, when we think about the idea that, that in the universe, there is, there is pattern, there is consistency. The, Greeks word, the Greek word cosmos means something that is in proper order. And when people began to look to the stars and look to the heavens and began to, 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 to really analyze them, to study them, not just to dream about the stars, but to really to look at the stars for what they are, you know what word they used to describe the universe? Cosmos. Because they began to see an order. 
They began to notice from way back in, in, the, in the millennia. They began to recognize that the sun comes up every day and goes down every day. And originally they thought that the sun rotated around the earth. But then they began to see that there were other things in the heavens that travel on a regular path in a regular order. But they weren't regular to the earth being concentric to the universe. And so they began to do the math on it and to figure this out. What they began to understand was the sun is the center of our solar system. And everything else, including the earth, revolves around it. And they call that cosmos, order. There's, there's so much order in the universe that it's sometimes hard to wrap our brains around it. You think about the fact that, that our planet, the planet that we live on, 93 million miles from the sun, we don't deviate from that orbit around the sun. And we're tilted at about, I think it's about 23 degrees of tilt. And as we travel around the sun, what does that create then? It creates a year with seasons. And nature recognized that. You know, the, the, the atheist as well as, the, as the, the, the person who believes in creative force or in God all recognize the fact that there are seasons to our trip around the sun. If we were even 2% closer to the sun, you know what happened to us? We'd burn up. There would be no life on this earth. If we were 2% farther from the sun, you know what happened to us? We'd freeze to death. And there'd be no life on this earth. And so mankind has looked at that, and they said, that's cosmos. That's order. We've been put in the right spot to perpetuate life, to sustain life. We've been put on the right tilt so that we can create the seasons that the, the, the plant life and the animal life on this earth needs to regenerate itself. If it was summer all the time here, that might sound good to, to the kids, like when they go back to school, right? But there would be problems in our environment if we were summer all the time. And there would likewise be problems if we were winter all the time. You look at the North Pole, and it's a lot more winter than it is summer. And you see what grows or doesn't grow on the North Pole. And the same thing for the South Pole. And that's just one, one example of order. Um, when we look to the heavens around us, we see order that we describe as cosmos. And the study of the, the universe is actually called cause, cosmology. I started to say cosmetology. That's not right. Cos, cosmetology is what, is what you ladies practice whenever you get up in the morning and you put makeup on. You know why that's called cosm, cosmetics? Because you're taking chaos and you're making order out of it. Right? That's, that's, that's literally why they call it cosmetics. That's the order that we see in the universe. What about the complexity? You looked at the smallest elements of the atom. Proton, neutron, electron. And we're even beginning to break those down into, into, into smaller subparticles. And you look at how they operate. How the right combination of protons, the right combination of neutrons, the right combination of electrons, the electrons traveling around the nucleus of that atom, how that creates oxygen or carbon or nitrogen. There's a complexity to the universe that is it, that to, to my way of thinking is impossible to explain apart from where we're going here. 
And the complexity is not just at the, at, at the molecular level. It's not just at the atomic level. It's all the way up into the, the universe. As we talked about, the idea that we, can, that we can live on a planet that has the complexity of life and the complexity of environment, the complexity of, of motion to it is, is mind-boggling. But just think about, your, think about your body and how complex your body is. Think about how right now, you're not thinking about this, but your lungs are breathing. Your brain is not having to, to tell your lungs to breathe. Your brain is not having to tell your heart to beat. Your brain's not having to tell your kidneys to function. Your brain's not having to tell your liver to do what it's doing. At some point in time, if I preach here long enough, your kidneys will tell your brain, hey, I've worked here. You haven't been thinking about me, but I've worked here long enough that I need some relief. And probably, and probably your gluteus maximus will begin to say the same thing. We need to stand up and move around a little bit. And so that's why I'm going to start getting this back of this lesson up here so that you don't wear yourself out. Your body is doing things right now that you're not even thinking about. That's called life. Life is complex. There's a lot of complex um, processes that your body was, frankly, created to do. Because we've already noted that we are created beings. We are created by something. We are not here eternally. And so this is all going on in the background. Complexity, I've got here down, consider the giraffe's neck the bombardier beetle spray, or even the platypus. Let me just read something to you here. This is from Discovery Magazines. Uh, we've gotten these for our kids since they were little bitty. Uh, if you like reading interesting things, it is geared for, towards children who are first grade to sixth grade, but there's a lot of good articles in here. Uh, if, you, if you're interested in this, this might be something we don't want to consider buying for each of the families here at our congregation because there's a lot of neat stuff. And this is actually from Try to think of, this is for 2014, but I want to read you a short article about the giraffe. Since a giraffe's brain is about eight feet higher than its heart, so this ceiling is a little over eight feet tall. Giraffe's heart's down there, a giraffe's brain is there. Think about that. A giraffe must have a large heart that can pump blood extremely hard against gravity. Such forceful pumping creates blood pressure that is about twice that of any other large mammal and as much as three times that of the average person. So whatever blood pressure you're, you're experiencing right now, the giraffe has three times your blood pressure. And that's whenever his brain's up there. Now we'll get to that in just a second. What's more, the giraffe must maintain such blood, blood pressure as long as the giraffe's neck is vertically in the air in order to accomplish such effect, powerful pumping, uh, effective powerful pumping, God designed the draft with a two foot long, 20 plus pound, thick walled heart that is large enough and strong enough to pump the blood eight feet upward. So when the draft is standing upright, that, that heart is able to pump the blood upward. Now what this article doesn't talk about is that the fact inside that draft's neck are valves they're like check valves. Anybody ever done any plumbing before? You know what a check valve does. It allows blood to flow one way, but it doesn't allow blood to flow the other way. And so as that heart pumps, at some point in time it has to relax. There's a potential that that blood may rush back down. But what those check valves do is say, no, you're stuck. And so that those check valves, they keep that blood moving up. Now what happens when that giraffe's neck goes to the ground to eat? 
You've taken the heart that's used to pumping eight feet up in the air, and now it's pumping downhill. What would happen to that draft if it wasn't created to withstand that? His head would, would it'd probably have, uh, the word just left it, but it would probably have a blood leak in his brain. But his body is created to withstand that. That's just one example. You think about the platypus. What an unusual animal. Has a bill like a duck, has a tail like a beaver, lays eggs, but it's a mammal. I don't mean any disrespect by this, but I think God was having a good day when he created the platypus. That's a fun animal to think about. What we, what we, what, the point of this, though, the point of the fact that, that nature, that design in nature demands a designer, speaks to purpose. It speaks to intention. And now what we've seen, when we started with creation demands a creator, we had three possible solutions. Right? We had a big bang, we had a creative force, and we had God. When we got down to effect, every effect requires a cause, that, that really weeds out the Big Bang because the Big Bang is not adequate and appropriate or, or antecedent to the creation of the universe. But we had a creative force. But one of the problems with a creative force, when you get to design the requiring a designer, a creative force is random, right? There is no mind to just a creative force. Something, someone had to be able to design what we see around us. What does that mean? He had to have the wisdom and the knowledge to be able to create an animal whose heart can pump eight feet up in the air and not blow up their head whenever they put their head down to eat. He had to create an animal who had a bill like a duck and a tail like a beaver and laid eggs but was a mammal. And he had to have a mind to create you. That's where it really gets personal, right? This wasn't a creative, this wasn't a random, mindless creative force that made what we see around us. This was something that had purpose built into it. Something that had the mind to design. Omniscience, all-knowing, omnipotence, all-powerful. And those are just the first three truths that we see in the universe that point to the existence of God. Next week we're going to talk about some more evidences of God from the world around us. And... Um, you know, we haven't even had to get into the Bible yet. That's coming, right? We'll build up to that. But I do want to remind us of what we read because it ties in to exactly what we just talked about. The heavens declare the glory of God and the earth and the firmament, excuse me, shows his handiwork. Day into day utters speech and night into night reveals knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth and their words to the end of the world. In them he has set a tabernacle for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming out of his chamber and rejoices like a strong man to run its race. Creation demands a creator. Every effect demands an adequate antecedent cause. And the fact that we see design in our universe demands a designer. These are all hooks that we can begin to hang the, the, the concept of God upon as we talk to people who don't believe in the Bible. And, and one of the things I would encourage us to do is to, is to do it in a way that's, that's build bridges with people, right? In the past, a lot of times what I've done is I've approached it from the standpoint, I'm going to beat you into submission. 
Right? We're going to overwhelm you with facts. That's not what Paul did whenever he preached on Mars Hill. He brought them along with information that they could relate to, they could understand, and they could accept. Now, some of them said, no, this, this guy's crazy. When he gets to the resurrection, he's lost his mind, right? But you know what he did do? He did convert some of those people that he preached to on Mars Hill. And that's what we're after, too. We want to share the gospel with people. That's, but that's what we've got to get to. We've got to get to the point where people are ready to hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. Have you heard the gospel of Jesus Christ? I'm, I'm confident that you have. Not today, but in past lessons. But if you haven't, let's remind ourselves, what is the gospel of Jesus Christ? It is the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus. It's the fact that God came in flesh to dwell among you and I and to live a life that we would live, to be tempted in all the ways that we're tempted, but to not sin. He went to the cross and he died there on the cross so that we could be partakers of better things, that we could be a part of the family of God, that we could be justified before God, that we could be cleansed, that we could be sanctified, that we could be here today to praise and honor our Father in heaven and not just a creative force. I love that. That we can worship our Father in heaven in the beauty of holiness. Have you obeyed the gospel of Jesus Christ? Have you put on Christ in baptism, knowing that He is the, the Savior of the world, that He's your own personal Savior? Are you willing to repent of sins and to be washed in the waters of baptism before the remission of sins? We're going to sing a meditation song. And this song is a song of encouragement. We do have a front row now, so if you feel comfortable coming to the front, that's fine. But if you don't, come see me. Don't leave here today with a need unmet. If, if you need to obey the gospel, let's take care of it today. If you're a member of the Lord's Church and you've been away for a while and you want to be restored, come back. We'd love to help you with that. Or if you've got a need or concern that's just more than you can bear on your own, that's what the body of Christ is for. We are, we are compelled out of love to pray for you and to encourage you today. So we're going we're gonna to be a source of strength to you. We're going to sing this invitation song. If you have a need, please make it known as we stand and sing. Thank you for joining us for another lesson from God's Word. For more information about our church family, please visit our Bradleyville Church of Christ Facebook page. We hope to see you soon. Till then, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. We hope you have a good day.